All right, so welcome to another episode of the Soapbox Edition. I am here with Mr. Bernardo Maderas. That is my pet name for Brad. Uh, very excited to be here with Brad and interviewing him and grill him with a bunch of questions. Very exciting. So maybe to start off, maybe Brad, you can introduce yourself. What do you do? What's up with you? What's up with me? It's a good question. So I am uh, I'm Brad Wood, and I've been working with Ordis for a while now. I'm the lead developer of Command Box CLI and a contributor to a bunch of the other boxes that run around at Ordis. So um, I don't know what my title is. I think it changes every day, but I do uh, a mix of consulting and uh, client work and server tuning. And uh, it's pretty fun. So and two more wrestling sometimes. <laughs> yes, two more wrestling on occasion. Now, well, you know, can you believe, Brad, that it's been 15 years since the first release of Coldbox? Uh, actually, 17 years since the first kind of iteration, mm -hmm. but 15 years. It's crazy to think how long it is. I've 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 been a part of, the, of Coldbox um, for, I don't know how many of those years, but quite a few of them. I, you know, when I first started using Coldbox before I even knew who you were, I think Coldbox was probably just two or three years old at that point, so. Yeah, it's nuts. So when did you think that you, can you remember like the first time that you started working with Coldbox? Yeah, um, I'd started a new job and we kind of had an opportunity to start rewriting some, some applications from scratch and we wanted to use, you know, a framework. And at the time uh, we'd played with Model Glue, we'd played with Mach 2, I'd used Fusebox before. Um, and there was this newer framework, you know, called Coldbox that had been around for a little while that I didn't really know anything about. And we kind of, you know, did a comparison of how active they were and the features they had. And, you know, Coldbox had like, like a five to one ratio of documentation. You know, it was just <laughs> docs and docs everywhere, tons of docs. We were like, what kind of nerd lunatic writes this much docs for a framework? Um, okay, no, we didn't say that exactly. But uh, it was really the, the documentation of, of Coldbox that kind of tipped us over to, well, we, we'll try out Coldbox. It looks really promising. There's, there's tons of documentation and features on it. And so we started um, that, you know, that new project in Coldbox. And that's kind of what got me into, uh, into using the framework. Very cool, very cool. So basically you, you started using it because you, you guys wanted to put a methodology in place at the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we had a lot of spaghetti code. We had a lot of, you know, this kind of legacy code that was all over the place. And, you know, we needed structure. We wanted to be able to build a team of Cold Fusion developers that could come in and kind of sit down and be able to, you know, understand how the application worked. And it's, it's, a, it's a lot harder to bring people up to speed when you have a, a completely custom built kind of, you know, legacy application where everything's spread out all over the place. So the conventions uh, in Coldbox made it easier as we, we built our team from about two people up to about 10 people. We could bring people in, even if they weren't ColdFusion developers, if they had MVC experience like in Ruby, we could, you know, bring them in, we could set them in front of the Coldbox uh, framework and, you know, they understood how to find things and how it worked at a basic level. Very cool, very cool. That, that's kind of basically the, the most, the next question, right? Which is, you know, how do you feel that Coldbox helped your team and yourself? So apart from bringing that structure, you know, what, what other areas do you feel that kind of brought helping to your team? Yeah, I think one of the biggest ones was just conventions. Um, it gave us, you know, a place to put everything. Um, you know, we kind of had a, a, a default set of folders to put our views in, to put our controllers in, to put our services in. Um, you know, Wirebox, uh, actually, we started using, you know, pre-Wirebox and the, the Bean plugin 
um, you know, days. Yeah. In fact, we even used Lightwire for, for a year or so until Coolbox 3 came out and kind of, you know, rewrote everything as, as Wirebox. But um, it just gave us kind of a, a set of methodologies and patterns to use. So all the different portions of our application all, you know, kind of behaved the same. They had files of the same sort of structure. It allowed us to, you know, abstract out uh, reusable components and views and layouts from multiple um, applications that were all running on Coolbox and had a lot of similarities. It gave us some nice conventions. And the second thing I think it really gave us was the, the out of the box kind of functionality. You know, when we wanted to, you know, use Bcrypt on our passwords, we could just use the Bcrypt module. When we wanted to do logging, we had Logbox available. You know, and, and that was, this was sort of around the time Forgebox was coming into play. And yeah. so, you know, we had this, you know, host of kind of pre-built modules out there that we could sort of suck in and we didn't have to write everything from scratch. So we kind of had that, you know, stepping stone to get ourselves into the application without having to rewrite a bunch of the base uh, portions that people, you know, find themselves rewriting all the time. That's cool, man. I think it's it's also interesting because you you you've been doing Fusion for a long time, so <laughs> you've kind of gone through through all the pain and sufferings of the language itself. Mm -hmm. So so it's yeah. pretty interesting how everything has has evolved. Yeah, I remember Lightwire was was my first inspiration into dependency injection. It was built by Peter Peter Bell. You remember yep. Peter? Oh yeah, yeah Peter. Peter. Yeah, Peter was a very very cool guy. Yeah, I always kind of was didn't like the the whole XML approach to definitions. So. Yeah, yeah. At the at the time, it was either Cold Spring or really Lightwire was the only one early on, and we didn't want to have to manage a big XML file because we had we had done that back in some of the Fusebox days and some of the Mach two days, um, and we wanted to get away from XML. We really liked the conventions of you know yeah. I put I put files in a certain folder and then that has meaning to it, and the framework can scan that folder and it can pick things up. And that's definitely what Lightwire gave us and what Coldbox gave us. And then, of course, when, when you wrote Wirebox, it combined the ideas from Lightwire and the ideas from the Bean plugin, um, you know, and mixed all those conventions together. So it took a, we had a very small amount of configuration to be able to, you know, run an application. I think we had like 200 CFCs or so in one of those first applications I wrote. And uh, we may have only had a few lines of, of Wirebox configuration because it was all done by conventions. I can't even imagine how big that XML file would have been yeah i remember that you know in those cold spring days where you know one xml file wasn't even enough and they started to do includes so you can break apart mm -hmm. the xml file and stuff so yeah it was nuts pretty pretty nuts days but um so you know obviously you've been through every iteration of colmox pretty much you've seen all the architectural shifts that we've done and you know what what do you what do you like most about colbox so geeking out here what what, what do you kind of are like oh my god this is so cool what, what is kind of one of those things that you go like, oh my gosh, this is this is awesome. I mean, other than like modules themselves, which I think was just revolutionary when we when we did Coldbox four, you know, and we had this this big fat Coldbox three that like had everything in the kitchen sink, you know, then we we scaled it down to this tiny core and we busted out all these chunks of functionality and modules. Um, I think that really changed how, how you and I wrote our own applications, how we wrote the framework. But um, sort of inside of the things that modules can package, I really love interceptors. Um, it's such a simple design pattern. And it's one that you see all over the programming space, regardless of what language you're developing in. And somehow in the cold fusion world, I, I really think that Coldbox is one of the only frameworks that ever really delved into to interceptors and making them a first class feature. Um, 
And so, you know, it allows you to really just decouple your code and listen to these announcements that come from the core framework or come from your code. Uh, and what was the greatest thing about interceptors is how you can, you know, influence the, the core behavior of the framework without having to touch any of the core code. You know, you say, when, when my view is rendered, I had this extra code that I want to be able to massage the HTML on the fly. And there was just a lot of really powerful things, you know, modules you could write that you just install it and it can, you know, change HTML on the fly of your application. I just always thought that was really powerful. And, you know, I use interceptors all the time in command box now. And, you know, most of the command box modules out there are all based around interceptors, you know, when a server starts, when a server stops, all that kind of stuff. I just think that's one of the most powerful things that lets you abstract, uh, you know, functionality. You and I like abstraction. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We remember our good old friend from Bulgaria. Uh, oh, love yes. distractions, but uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And that, that's one of my favorite features as well. I think modules and interceptors have, have been a game changer and uh, especially interceptors. I think the whole event-driven programming concept, which translates very nicely to multiple languages, you know, whether it's Java or JavaScript, you know, or Golang, you know, having event-driven approaches to programming. Yeah, you're, you're hurt, your head hurts a little because you got to think in abstractions, right? But yeah. uh, it's so powerful, so, it, so powerful. It forces you to encapsulate behaviors, uh, which I think is, is important. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. You know, I, I think right now that we're building Content Box 5, and I, I went to the, to the screen in, in our Geek Admin where it shows how many interceptors we have, mm -hmm. and it was like 400 or something like that. And I was like, dang, yeah, you can really extend this sucker with anything because there's a, an interceptor for pretty much anything that people can tap into and and extend and that that's pretty cool awesome so you know now we're, we're moving forwards right so it's been 15 years and you know we're still looking forward to the future we still have tons of ideas you know there's still tons of tickets that have been there for 10 years or more and that we were like oh my god when are we going to get to those but you know what are you personally looking forward to what, what what are you personally looking forward to in the next you know iterations of Colbox? we're in version six now you know, maybe mm -hmm. seven, eight, nine, ten. What, what do you, what do you, what do you look forward to? I think one of the the bleeding edges that we're tapping into right now is in the async manager. Um, and if anyone listening that's not familiar, the async manager is, is basically a, a wrapper around the completable future interface that the JDK gives us natively, and it it just you know lets you tap into that Java collection of libraries directly from cold fusion and you've got it all you know integrated into cold fusion so you can use closures and things like that but th that gives us just tons of functionality you know spinning off scheduled threads um having you know asynchronous threads that you can you know do nicer error handling you can have custom thread ex executors and we've already started to kind of tap into that in the cold box core for instance like the the asynchronous log box appenders you know, are using the async manager now to spin up these threads. I think there's a lot of, of additional stuff that we'll be doing that we can do in the future for asynchronous functionality. Because I think, you know, CF thread has been around for a long time, but it's very simple. And I don't think people even use it as much as they could. So I'm yeah. pretty excited about, about the async manager and all the completable future goodness that Java gives us. And us be able to have even more asynchronous functionalities in the cold box core to be able to have you know asynchronous events and asynchronous rending, renderings um, but from a really easy you know usable interface the, the dsl the chainable methods for the async manager just makes it really convenient to work with 
Yeah, I, I would agree with you. That's something that John also mentioned. He's also very excited about the whole asynchronous, um, you know, programming aspects and parallelization. Can't, can't ever say that correctly. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you were with me actually when we saw uh, a presentation in DevNexus mm -hmm. a few years ago with uh, Mr. Venkat Subramani, uh, yep. awesome guy, and he he blew our minds. We were looking at each other oh, in yeah. the conference, and we're like, "Holy moly, Brad, can we do this?" You know, and and I took like copious notes at that time on how mm -hmm. we could port that into Confusion because it was it was we didn't even need a jar, you know, it was built into the the JDK, right? Yeah, and that's that the, the beauty of beauty. It. Yeah, it was the beauty of it, and and yeah, and in all reality, you know, we've had kind of proof of concepts of what we wanted to do for a while, but we never had been able to crack. Uh, crack it correctly, right? To to when you go into a synchronous land to be able to still deal with 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 the whole confusion aspects like mappings, right? Even mm -hmm. the hibernate sessions and all that stuff. And we finally, well, you finally cracked it, and it was it's been amazing because you know we're 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 working with it day in and a day out now and starting to see the power of synchronicity, which is a word by the way, Brett. And. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and it's very exciting. It's, it's very exciting indeed of what, what will go in that front. Yeah, I mean, as, as a JVM language, I think that's one of our, our big benefits is we get the power of the JVM. So I, I'd be completely remiss if, you know, as a JVM language, we weren't tapping into these, you know, really nice libraries. Um, it used to always kind of be a joke that, you know, Java libraries were, either, were always clunky and really verbose to use. Um, yeah. a, lot of the, a lot of the newer APIs in the JDK really are, are pretty nice and so you know being able to expose them natively in you know cfml and be able to mix in closures and things um i i think it's really one of the next kind of you know frontiers if you will for for cold fusion developers to you know break into uh new tooling that we've never really had available so true so what, what in your opinion do you think um you know these whole trajectory of, of 15 years of you know building open source tools and especially with Coldbox. What do you think Coldbox has brought to CFML in your opinion? What has it brought to CFML? It's brought modernity, modernization. <laughs> uh, there's, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Um, I mean, when I say, you know, modernization, what's, what's cool to me about, you know, Coldbox is that's, that's one of our boxes, but it, it works in concert with yeah. kind of all the other pieces. So we have, you know, forgebox.io, our, our cold fusion package repository, you know, website, which is where you can host, you know, any cold fusion project. We have the command box CLI package manager where you can, you know, install, uninstall, update, manage those packages, you know, start the servers. Then we have, you know, the cold box, obviously, you know, aspect that's your MVC framework, you know, and you're installing packages into it. And this whole kind of, you know, ecosystem of building applications that aren't just one-off CFM files laying around, but, you know, building applications that are a collection of, you know, Lego bricks, this module from here and this module from here and managing all those packages together. Um, you know, that's that's the modern workflow that developers in, in Java, developers in PHP, developers in Node are all doing uh, day in and day out. And I think that's, you know, the modern place that a lot of cool fusion people are, are pulling themselves into. And so in my opinion, Coldbox has kind of been really integral in that. You can use Forgebox, you can even use Commandbox outside of Coldbox, but I think all those together is what really unlocks the, the full potential of having a, a modern workflow and a modern 
you know, programming language, and even just the testing capabilities. So you tech test box on the side, you know, Coldbox is, is really the only, the only framework in ColdFusion land that's ever had any concept of integration testing, you know, built in that has the appropriate abstractions of, you know, the CGI scope, the request data, you know, being able to capture things like redirects and actually test them, you know, in a vacuum. There's, there's so much functionality, you know, modern functionality you get when you put all these, you know, pieces together. And I think Coldbox kind of sits right in the middle of that, of being able to, you know, tie it together and make it possible. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's crazy to think that, you know, Coldbox obviously was the first box, right? Yeah. And and then everything kind of spawned from there. And and that's what had been has been our focus, right? Is to build all these tools that work in unison to to enhance the developer experience in the language, right? I think we're mm -hmm. getting to a point, uh, I don't know if you agree with this, but yeah, I think we're getting to a point in that the majority of programming languages are kind of becoming the same, right? <laughs> they all have the kind of the same constructs, right? Um, they have the same abilities. And the, the, the difference between them is, is, is really, you know, mostly be, between typed languages and untyped languages at this point, right? That's yeah. the, 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 what I see. So our focus at Orchis has been like, how can we build the best tools you know, for developers, so they can enhance the language and, and make that language even even better. So, yeah. so would you, do you agree that the majority of languages now are becoming diffused? Yeah, I think there's a there's beginning to be a lot of a lot of overlap as far as the the basic flow control constructs you see, the basic you know classical inheritance, the, the basic functional programming, um, the basic types of you know objects and and you know higher order functions that you see on them. Uh, there, there really is a lot of overlap. So when you choose a language, a lot of what you're kind of choosing, like you say, is, you know, do I want a language that's strictly typed? Do I want a language that's dynamically typed, um, you know, loosely typed? Um, do I want a, you know, a language that, you know, has strict compilers or there's just, that's, that's more kind of the question is, do I want a language that runs on the JVM or do I want a language like Go that has, you know, a super tiny uh, runtime? So, but yeah, the, the the things you can do in the, the languages and the syntax of most scripting languages really has converged um, to a great deal, I think. And um, maybe the last question here, the kind of the cold box package here, but you know, if you're talking to developers right now, people that have been doing Coldfish for a long time or newbies, you know, why why should people use Coldbox in 2021? <laughs> Why should they use Coldbox? Um, why not? <laughs> why wouldn't I use it? I thought, um, I thought you were going to say because of command box, because that's your typical response. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's there's so many reasons. I don't know where I'd start. I I can't imagine you know creating anything, even if it was just a simple uh, a simple application that didn't start with 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 Coldbox. Um, you know, the, the out of the box things that I'm, I'm used to having the ability to, you know, log to the console, log to a file, have, you know, out of the box caching capabilities, the async manager, you know, just basic conventions for, you know, view renderings. Um, if I was to try to build something without that, I think it would, it would be really annoying. I would be, I would spend a ton of time, you know, kind of creating all that from scratch. Um, you know, even, a, you know, a basic REST API. I would rather, you know, spin it up in, in Coldbox than trying to write that from scratch. And I know that, you know, the biggest problem out there is there's a lot of legacy code bases. You know, they've been around for a long time and they work as they are. And, you know, a lot of companies that don't want to spend the, 
you know, the, the money and the effort into modernizing them. But, you know, you, you've seen it as well as I have, you know, yeah. every year there's people in the community that, you know, they tell us, Hey, my, you know, my company is dropping cold fusion or moving over to insert language here. Um, you know, and, and the biggest reason is, well, you know, our, our application's old, you know, it's hard to maintain, you know, we can't find developers to understand how it works. You know, our managers think that this language here will be more modern. You know, we're going to start using frameworks. We're going to start using testing. We're going to start using package managers. Um, you know, and my thought is, well, you know, Cold Fusion has all that in it. You know, you have frameworks, you have package managers, you have testing, you know, libraries. You can do all those modern things in Cold Fusion. But, you know, for the past 20 years, you had this legacy app that nobody ever wanted to put any effort into it. So it kind of gets to a point where, you know, at some point, your your job as a Confusion developer, ma maintaining the app you're doing, is, is eventually going to go away if you don't take effort, effort, some sort of effort to you know to modernize it, even if it's in small ways. Because um, a lot of people just seem content to, you know, manage their legacy application as it is now, and you know they're fine never updating it. But at some point, you're going to be out of a job, and you know some young kid. Yeah. Some young kid, you know, coding a node or Ruby is going to come in because they do all the things that you've been putting off. So I, I think you have to, you have to drag yourself along, um, you know, at some point and get your application into a point where it can be, um, it, it can be maintained by a team more easily. Because like I mentioned earlier, you know, the previous jobs I've had, we got to a point where we could hire people that didn't even know Cold Fusion, but they knew scripting languages, they knew MVC frameworks, whether they came from .NET or Python or Ruby, it didn't matter. You know, they could come in, the syntax, like you said, was pretty similar to what they'd use in JavaScript and C++, yeah. C++ and stuff like that. So, you know, they could come in and sit down and they could look at our application, which was a modern cold box application, doing testing, doing CICD, and they could, you know, get up to speed much faster than if we had, you know, a super legacy tag-based, you know, application. And so, Finding Cold Fusion developers is one of the the big problems that people always put down in the State of the CF Union survey. You know, what's one of the biggest problems we have with Cold Fusion? Finding developers. You know, well, if you can find a developer who knows how to do, you know, a modern scripting language with modern design patterns, um, you can set them in front of a, a modern, you know, cold box application, and they can make sense of it pretty quickly. So, I, I think, you know your end game is going to be, you know, you're not going to have your job forever. If, if you're content to, you know, to live with the same legacy workflow that, you know, doesn't use testing, doesn't use automation, doesn't use MVC. It's only so long you can sustain that, or at least so long your company will be willing to pour money into sustaining that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I think that that transcends into the whole legacy issue, right? And, and these corporations that have big investments in full fusion and have not, paid that technical debt to keep things modern and forward, they have even more trouble getting developers because you bring in a developer, a young gun, you know, who's been doing Ruby or Node and they show him this legacy airplane, right? That's about to fall off. I mean, they don't want to touch it with a, you know, 30 foot pole, right? The, so it creates a lot of issues for developers because no developer wants to come in and, 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 and code like it's code, like, you know, 10 years ago, right? They want to do modern stuff. They want to be creative. They want to express themselves, right? And and they can't do it. So um, I think that a big issue for some of these companies that have had an investment in Cold Fusion is that if, if they don't modernize like our model, right? They, they kind of die. 
So, and they can't find people to work with them and address those issues. So it's important to keep modern and little steps, like you say, uh, can make a big difference. Right. So, oh, yeah. you know, let, let's get a little bit more into, into Brad's mind <laughs> and, and kind of your heart too. It's a very scary place. I have been there, not pretty. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, what, what, what drives you? What do you, what do you care about and kind of what motivates you with, with what you do? Cause obviously you, you you're tremendous at it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know what motivates <laughs> me. Um, no, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, like a lot of, you know, people I like to create, um, you know, and if I'm, if I'm not programming, I'm usually, you know, my hobbies involve something that I'm, you know, creating with my hands. But, um, I think it's, you know, it's fun to have a, a plan, you know, to plan something out, to architect it, whether it's a physical thing I'm making or, you know, a, a programming project and to be able to, you know, implement, implement that and see it from start to finish and then see it be, you know, useful. And I think it's why, you know, even people like you write tools is because, you know, you want to build something that can be useful that people can, you know, grab a hold of and they can, they can solve a problem for them. Um, and so, I mean, it's fun to see problems get solved to be able to, you know, understand them and be able to express them and then, you know, figure out how to, how to move forward for that. And, you know, in our line of work, there's so much inspiration. There's so many other languages. There's so many, you know, conferences outside of the cold fusion space that, you know, when you and I go to a conference like Dev Nexus, we just have loads of ideas and new ways of doing things. Um, you know, and we want to say, how can we plug that into cold fusion? How can we plug that into our workflow? How can we, you know, make our own applications more interesting, more fun to code, more performant. Um, and I think there's just a lot of, you know, joy in being able to successfully, you know, create stuff, not just clock in and clock out every day, but to, you know, feel like you're making a difference. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's a great segue for, for kind of the next question I have for you, which is, you know, how do you stay modern, you yourself, right? And you mentioned conferences and things like that, but you know, what, what would you say to somebody that's, you know, been programming cold fusion for the last 10 years and you're like, I don't know how to modernize myself, right? How do you, how do you stay modern in software development in general? Um, I think, you know, a lot of reading, um, you know, back in the day, you used to always have to read books to get information, um, you know, in the, in the programming space, you know, things change rapidly, you know, in a, in a few years, there can be, you know, new patterns, new ways of doing things. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of podcasts that are available, you know, you can listen to, and these are non-cold fusion resources I'm talking about. You know, there's, uh, I mean, there are books, there's, there's good books, a lot of Uncle Bob books like Clean Code, which is one Adam yeah, Cameron's yeah. been talking a lot recently. But there's a lot of podcasts, there's a lot of, you know, blogs and things you can just follow. Um, there's been tons of online conferences in the past year or two. Um, and just, you know, keeping your ear to the ground, listening, you know, to those sort of resources, reading through them, just getting ideas. Um, and then, you know, thinking about how do I solve this problem? And, you know, does this idea give me a better way that I could, I could solve it? I think that's a great way to, um, you know, not really stagnate, but a lot of times you have to go out of your way to find those. If you always just exist in the same, you know, sort of bubble, um, you know, then you, you won't keep up with the new technology. And, and unfortunately, there's a lot of people even in the cold fusion space that, you know, that have that problem. They're not even aware of what the modern ways to do things are in cold fusion, let alone the modern ways to do things in other languages. Um, yeah, I think that's always, 
always keeping your eyes open and just paying attention to what's out there and looking outside of where you normally look for solutions um, is a way to kind of, you know, keep an eye on things. You know, a lot of the online conferences are great resources for, you know, listening to really smart people, you know, that are part of Docker, part of, you know, Java, part of other languages and seeing you know, the way they're solving things. What do you see for the future in terms of technology? What do you, you had a crystal ball and you're like, we should bet money on this. What do you, what do you, what technology <laughs> trends, what technology trends kind of you, you feel are, are very interesting that are going to probably change the world? Oh, geez. Um, I think serverless is one to keep an eye on. Um, I, I see it being used more and more. And it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit of a shame that in the cold fusion space, we've been sort of slow to, um, embrace and, and look into serverless. Unfortunately, uh, cold fusion and JVM languages in general don't always work great out of the box in that sort of mindset. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's like Sean Corfield has said before, you know, languages like Node are really good at, at a super short process. You want to start up, you know, execute and then finish. But, you know, the JVM is meant for processes to start up and run for a long time. You know, this is what it's optimized at. Um, and so it'd be interesting to see where kind of serverless goes in the future. Um, I think serverless has also changed a little bit in regards to, you know, the ability of it to reuse uh, processes in the back. So you're not actually trying to, you know, start up and shut down, a, you know, a cold fusion engine every time. Lucy's had, a, you know, a serverless functionality from Pete Freitag's uh, Fuseless and Adobe Cold Fusion 2021 has started to, you know, move into that space as well. But you know, just the idea of being able to have microservices, you know, out there in the cloud ether, you know, that you don't have to, you know, think about or manage a server, I think is, uh, is interesting. And, you know, services like PHP, uh, you know, Vapor, I think, are, you know, entire like, you know, website hosting platforms that all, you know, based on serverless. I don't know if ColdFusion will get there or if it makes sense, but it's still a very interesting thing that I'm interested in looking at. Um, as well as, I mean, just Docker in general. And Docker is is by no means new, that's for sure. Um, yeah. the, cold, the Cold Fusion community is always, you know, kind of a few years behind, you know, and, and people moving into that. But adoption, I think, is still at an all-time high of Docker. That's still a very new thing to a lot of people in the CF community. Um, yeah. And I think that's definitely something that does absolutely work really good uh, with CFML, uh, you know, more so than, than serverless. And has a lot of benefits to it. So I think that'll continue to be um, kind of an area of growth of the cold fusion community. And of course, Ordis has kind of been, you know, right in the middle of that with our command box based Docker images, trying to give people an easy path, you know, to get into um, that sort of idea. Because I, th I think from a hosting perspective, you know, the world's always been, you know, at first we were moving from physical servers towards virtual machines. And then we were moving from virtual machines towards, you know, stuff like, you know, uh, what was the parallels? What was the, it was an early containerized service that wasn't Docker, but it was similar to it. Um, and then finally, you know, Docker sort of became the standard. Yep. Um, and at the same time, you know, moving from having to manage hardware to not having to think about it, which is kind of, you know, serverless is sort of like the ultimate you know, goal of that. But a lot of cold fusion people, I think, are still in the mentality of, you know, data centers that we manage with X number of virtual machines, you know, and you have to install the software. So I think that's kind of a big, you know, transition step is moving yourself from a managed mindset to, you know, an as a service kind of mindset where, you know, you're deploying an AWS, 
you know, their ECS, which is their Elastic Cloud Service, I believe. Um, so I think there'll be a lot of changes to come in that space. I think there's a lot of tools already available, but you know, that's something that can sometimes be just as hard as convincing a company to rewrite a legacy application is, you know, convincing the company to do a major shift of how they host things. Um, but I know there's a lot of flexibility that, that comes with that. So it'd be interesting to see how that evolves as well. Very interesting, very interesting. So we gotta, we gotta keep an eye out there on, on everything that you say and make some bets. And see what happens. I, I'm not a betting man. <laughs> I, I only bet if I'm guaranteed to win. That's when, that's when I'll bet. So um, this, this is a, a great question because obviously you have no opinions at all. Right? You're a man of no opinions. Um, and you've been doing Covision for quite a, some time. And, you know, it's I know it's very dear to your heart. And let's say that you, if you had to have a master plan of how to grow this community, what would you do? Let, let's say that the powers of B are listening. What, what would the powers you do? that be. <laughs> you know, that's a difficult question. Um, and I thought about it a lot because, you know, it bothers me when I see the, you know, the attrition of the community. Um, you know, a lot of the smart people that used to be around our community 10 years ago um, are still doing development, but they're doing development in other languages now. Um, you know, either they, you know, wandered off to some greener pastures because, you know, Cold Fusion didn't do what they needed. And you think about 10 years ago, you don't even have to go back 10 years, but if you just go back 10 years ago, you know, this was pre-command box, pre-test box, pre, um, you know, Docker, there's a uh, pre-package management, you know, there's a lot of stuff that didn't exist in the community that, that did exist at that time in other languages. But there's a number of people that have moved on just, you know, because they got attracted by other shiny languages or their companies have left Cold Fusion. Um, Confusion has, has a few issues that I think makes it more difficult from people, you know, picking it up. There's, you know, there's two angles. There's people that use Confusion because they work at a company that uses Confusion, you know, and so corporate usage is, is one thing. And, you know, that's where the image of, you know, Confusion, whether it's a secure or an insecure language or a dying language, yeah. you know, comes into play. And that was difficult because you're, you're up against a lot of, you know, CIOs or CTOs that, you know, read just enough Microsoft magazines to think that .NET is, you know, the future and they want to move everything over to .NET. But there's also uh, a distinct lack of new people, um, you know, just playing around with Cold Fusion as a hobby. And you look at the State of the CF Union survey, and then one of the questions is how long you've been using Cold Fusion, you know, and the vast majority of people are all like 15, 20 years. And then, you know, the more recent you get, the numbers get smaller and smaller, and you only have a, a, a small subset of people that are using it, you know, for two years or less or, or one year or less. And Adobe's had some, some programs in the past to try to get like, you know, educational institutions picking it up. I don't know how much traction that's really gotten. Um, but I, I feel like we need to, you know, be able to focus on, on new people wanting to pick up Cold Fusion as, you know, a, a starter language um, just to learn as a hobby to play around with because, you know, people that pick up PHP to play around with tend to build stuff in PHP. Um, and it really pains me, you know, like in some of the Cold Fusion Facebook groups in the last month or so, people will come on and say, hey, I'm learning Cold Fusion. What are some good resources? And I'm not kidding. Eight out of 10 people that comment say, oh, don't bother. Don't learn Cold Fusion. You won't have any jobs. Learn something else. So I'm like, oh my gosh, like seriously, people. <laughs> They want to learn Cold Fusion. Like, let's help them learn Cold Fusion. Like, what other programming language 
you know, community is so stupid as to shoot themselves in the foot and to literally tell people, don't bother learning this language. Um, it just, it, it kills me. I mean, that's literally what we need. We need people just playing around with cold fusion. Who cares if, you know, you don't think there's enough jobs for them. Um, if they want to learn cold fusion, if they want to do hardware automation on a Raspberry Pi, if they want to spin up a website and content box. Um, I mean, we need people like that college age people, even high school people, you know, learning HTML, learning CSS, learning the internet and having, you know, an easy accessible language. I think cold fusion can be that, but it's, it has such an image problem and it's, there's so many people that don't even realize that cold fusion is still an actively developed language. I talk to people on Twitter all the time that just legitimately had no clue that anybody was still actually doing anything with cold fusion. Um, you know, and when that's the mentality, then how can I expect, you know, a random college age kid looking to pick up a language in the spare time to even know it's out there. And I don't know that I really know the answer to that um, outside of just our community being more vocal, um, you know, creating more interesting uh, projects and libraries and putting them out there on, on GitHub, um, you know, more, a more active Reddit channel, more active stack overflow. I don't know what it is that would get Confusion in front of more, more eyes. I think we have uh, a compelling language that's worth, you know, learning. And with Lucy's server, it doesn't have to cost you anything. Um, you know, the trick is just how do we get it in front of people? Um, and I, I don't really know that I know what the answer is to that. If I did, I'd probably be out there doing whatever that is right now. But I think, you know, <laughs> there's only so much that we can, you know, people will say, well, Adobe should do more, right? Maybe they can. Um, but most other languages don't have, you know, uh, a Fortune 500 company or Fortune 100 company behind it pushing it. There's a lot of languages like, you know, PHP, which powers like 70% of all the sites on the internet. And there was never a big company pushing PHP. It was always just free. It was easy you know, and people picked it up and it just got tons of users. Um, you know, back in the day, ColdFusion was easy, but it wasn't free, <laughs> you know, and, and so PHP surpassed it. And so, you know, we have the, the free open source versions now, but it's just hard to get it in, in front of people. So the long- yeah, It's the whole stigma of, of, of the age that it has, right? But yeah, I think that it's always yeah. a, a difficult plan to implement and- you know, obviously you're, you're here with Ortiz and, you know, we, we have our, our own master plan to conquer the world, <laughs> right? But, uh, but it, it is, it's like, you know, I, I definitely think the vendors should do more, right? I think that the, if people don't know about it, they don't know about it, right? Yeah. Uh, as simple as that. So they should invest more in, in making sure that because that will make them more successful anyways, right? So it's a win-win situation for them, right? Right, and, yeah. And I've gotten on Adobe's case before about, you know, their refusal to use cold fusion for their own websites um i have i never made it very far with them <laughs> but i've i've certainly let them know my opinion um but yeah it's um I, you know i, I want to see i want to see the vendors embrace it obviously you know lucy is a vendor you know embraces uh cold fusion but they also have basically zero marketing budget and you know zero influence. I'd love to be able to see Adobe do more, but I know that yeah. the Cold Fusion team is sort of very siloed in Adobe. And I love yeah. the people on the Cold Fusion team and I know they love Cold Fusion, but they have no ability to, you know, tap into the marketing resources and things. Um, but I, I, I don't want to underestimate the, you know, the influence that just you and I as Cold Fusion developers can have out there just building cool stuff and talking about it and sharing it. 
Um, you know, because a lot of languages have all had, you know, breakout apps, you know, big popular applications that you yeah, see yeah. all over, like uh-huh. Discourse, right? You know, our our Ordus community forum runs on Discourse and it's a Ruby on Rails wrap app. Yeah. It's written on Ruby, right? We used it because it has a million features that would take us five years to re-implement if we were to rewrite it in Cold Fusion. And it was a turnkey software that runs on top of Docker and it was just so easy to set up. Why aren't there, you know, why isn't there a discourse that somebody's written in Cold Fusion? I mean, every app out there that you use, I mean, even the Docker CLI is written in Golang. I mean, everything yeah. you use is written in a language. Why aren't people writing more cool, useful tools that have, you know, standalone utility that just happen to be written in Cold Fusion? I think that's the kind of stuff that'll get Cold Fusion in front of people's faces more. And I think there's a lot of influence you know the cold fusion developer community can have even on our own just sort of grassroots yeah i agree with you i think that to me is one of the biggest things that we try to do at ortis is you know we want to build apps right and you know with content box that's kind of was our first kind of like front end kind of thing now with with content box becoming headless right and and then now we have our, our new box which is time box which we're going to start talking about pretty soon as, i hear that's an actual I hear that's an actual time machine that allows you to go back in it time. Is. is that true? Oh. It is. It is. So, and I think that's uh, a big thing that developers should do, which is, is I don't know why the, the I think with the cool fusion community needs to change and, and, and to start sharing more, right? They need to be able to, there's a lot of cool apps that we've seen when we've done our, our, our consulting around the world, you mm-hmm. know, we've seen tremendous apps and, you know, if people would start sharing yeah. those apps or at least components of those apps, you could see the, the power, you know, we, we consult with ma- major companies that are, you know, major in the millions of dollars, you know, and their whole infrastructure is based on Cofusion and it rocks, right? The ones yep. that are keep modernized. So, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I think more people should be developing more cool apps and put them out there and see where they go. Absolutely. Just being active in the community. If you look at like the closure community as an example of a community that's probably relatively close in size to the cold fusion community, they probably have, you know, 100 to 1000 times fold more activity in their communities. Now you look at the cold box framework on GitHub, uh, it probably has maybe four or 500 stars or something. Uh, I mean, you know, you look at a a closure framework on GitHub, it probably has 5,000 to 10,000 stars on it. Um, it's just, you know, their Slack team is bigger. There's more conversations. There's more people doing things out in the community. Um, and that kind of stuff, I think, catches attention, um, you know, and makes people aware of the community, you know, aware of the community is there and just yeah. doing cool stuff. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think that, you know, like I said, we're trying to do as much as we can, but people need to pitch in and, and, and get on the boat. <laughs> and you mentioned the time machine, let's go to mm. the time machine and, uh, what, what would what would old wise and old powerful Brad say to the young stud Brad in his twenties? What, what 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 advice do you have? Um, invest in Bitcoin. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, was just, I was I was boring my wife on uh, a recent drive to where we are right now. Uh, you know, tell me that when Bitcoin came out, I thought it was really dumb and it would never catch on. I still think it's dumb, but it somehow caught on. It's like, you know, <laughs> if only I'd bought like a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin, where could I be today? I know. Um, you know, I don't know. It's a good question. What would I tell myself? 
I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not really a person who, you know, dwells on, on regrets or, you know, shoulda, coulda, wouldas. I'm sure there's, there's things I could probably could have told myself to do differently. Um, but I mean, I also, you know, wouldn't change a lot of things about what I've done. Um, what advice, you know, what, what, what kind of advice would you, would you say, would you say to your younger self apart from buying Bitcoin? <laughs> apart from buying Bitcoin. Um, you know, probably just to, to look into, um, you know, other languages and other technologies sooner. Um, you know, I was a cold fusion developer for a while that, that didn't use frameworks and was, you know, mostly unaware of a lot of the tools and things in other languages, you know, didn't even really, you know, care for CLIs or anything like that. And it wasn't until I started working with Ortis and we started, you know, pushing the envelope and creating things like command box you know, ourselves, I really started to look more on, you know, what was going in our, on in other languages and what it, you know, what it looked like to build a Ruby on Rails app and how their ecosystem worked together. Um, you know, if I was to, you know, want to be able to innovate sooner, it would have been, you know, better probably if I had reached, branched out more in my earlier days of ColdFusion to understand what other languages were offering, you know, and what they had that ColdFusion didn't, um, so that I, you know, understood the need and maybe we could have built some of these things that we eventually built, you know, years sooner before, you know, before Cold Fusion was behind and we had to catch up. Yeah, totally agree with that. Totally agree with that. I mean, uh, it just reminds you of the first time I told you is, Brad, we're going to build a CLI. <laughs> and you're like, what? Why? No, no. So we're setting the record straight here, folks, that Brad did not want to build Command Box. And now it's his passion. So, <laughs> yeah. Careful what you wish for, Brad. <laughs> so a fi final kind of question here before we get into the kind of the lightning round here. But, you know, what would you love to see in the language itself? What are, what are some geeky stuff that you're like, oh, my God, I wish Confusion had this? Oh, man. Um, so here's something I was just talking to. Uh, I was just talking to Zach Spitzer about this earlier today. Um, it's a feature that Lucy's thrown around for a while that um, Java allows for. Um, which is inline creation of or inline definition of a class. That would be kind of cool. Mm -hmm. So a CFC has to be in a separate file, but in Java, yeah. you can just kind of create a class on the fly override methods, um, which also hand in hand with that is the ability to extend um, a base class on the fly as well, you know, yeah. create, create a, a subclass. And, and that's just like inline, you know, without having a separate file for it and the ability to um, implement a particular interface. On the fly, so you can create an interface, you know, directly in Java, um, and just you know implement the methods you want. That would be kind of handy. There's a especially when interacting with some Java libraries that sort of use that workflow. You know, a lot of Java libraries will say, "Here's some like abstract, you know, base class that handles authentication, and you have to override it, you know, and override a couple methods that it's implement how you want the authentication to work." And that requires a fair amount of boilerplate to do, especially for an underlying Java class. I think that could be an interesting feature uh, for Cold Fusion to kind of inherit some of those. Now, that would bring up some interesting questions because classes or components in Cold Fusion are sort of directly tied to the file they live in. I'm not sure how that would work, but I think that could be an interesting, um, an interesting feature. And then one of the other things you and I were kind of talking about um, before we started this 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 uh, interview here would be the ability to have. Um, you know, kind of like a, a lightweight, uh, a lightweight CFC that didn't have as much overhead to create because there's still some design patterns that don't work as well in Cold Fusion just from the overhead of, yeah. uh, of CSCs. Um, I think it'd be really cool uh, to be able to, you know, have a struct 
um, that you know represented an object and just you know put UDFs in the struct, which you can do right now, but allow the this reference and those UDFs just reference the struct itself. Then I could have a struct that had data and behavior, um, and it could be like a super lightweight you know object of sorts without you know the overhead of a CFC. Which I mean, you can basically do that in JavaScript. You can just create an object, you can cram methods into it, and cram data into it. You know, and this gives you a self-referencing um, behavior. That could be another interesting um, behavior in in cold fusion. What another one that I that I like, but actually this has already been implemented now. Well, I say has been. It's going to be in Lucy six, and it's already in Adobe Cold Fusion twenty twenty one. It's the ability to have chunks of Java code inline inside Better, of your yeah. Fusion code, and that's actually kind of nice because um, occasionally, you know, I'm interacting with a, a native library, um, and there's always a little bit of overhead with Java reflection whenever I'm calling methods on a Java object. And inside of a tight loop, if I'm, you know, uh, looping over some iterator and I'm calling, you know, a read method on a stream 10,000 times, you know, that's Java reflection times 10,000 times. So it, um, that's a kind of a cool idea to be able to, you know, take a little chunk of, of Java code, just regular everyday Java code, stick it inside of a function inside your cold fusion code, you know, and, and the engine just compiles it down. So Adobe users already have that. And then, of course, Lucy 6 is advertising that as well. So that's one that I like that's kind of already coming on its way because I anything that that you know gives better Java interop I think is always a benefit yeah. for sure I agree with you on that one and I think that sometimes people the develop the the vendors have been hesitant on the Java integrations but I think that's I think that you have to look at the ecosystem and see that Java is the number one you know language in the world and it, it's such a big pie and being able to bring that ecosystem easily into Cofusion is, is a huge plus. And right now, I mean, you and I have been doing so much Java uh, integrations and created so many tickets because we, we suffered through it, right? Uh, we haven't been able, you know, work with RabbitMQ SDKs, working with, you know, messaging SDKs, working with, you know, WebSocket SDKs, you know, it, it's a pain, right? Uh, we, sometimes we can't do it. Yep. You know, we've hit uh, so many roadblocks. And I think that if, if the vendors can get into and make the transitions for Java developers to consider this as another level of abstraction, I think that will take it to another level as well. Totally. And, you know, when you and I go to conferences like DevNexus, which is largely a Java conference, we see a lot of emphasis on, on things like Groovy, right, which is a JVM language that, you know, is advertised to Java developers as, hey, it's Java, but without all the boilerplate and you can do this cool stuff with it. And I think, you know, CFML deserves to be right there in the conversation as, hey, look, it's the JVM, but it's typeless and dynamic and you can do all these cool things with it. I mean, even Grails, you know, is an entire, you know, automation type of, you know, setup built on top of Groovy targeted at Java developers. And um, I I personally think command box test runners should be right there as a JVM based automation setup targeted at Java developers, but it's CFML for sure. Yeah, so. I agree with that. I think that's something that we've been planning to see is how we can bring command box to the Java masses, you know, and, and we've still been tinkering around on how to how to achieve that. But uh, very cool, very cool. So let's get into the to the lightning questions, Brad. So more fun stuff uh, to kind of end the day, but uh, best 80s rock band. Best 80s rock Go. band. You know, the funny thing is I didn't listen to a lot of rock bands in the 80s. I grew up and I mostly listened to Christian music and I listened to all these 80s stations. band. <laughs> there you go. Best 80s band. <laughs> um, out of the subset of music that I listened to, 
I'm going to say Steve Kurt, Stephen Curtis Chapman because he Curtis. had he had music my parents would have considered rock and roll, <laughs> even though <laughs> even though it really wasn't. But awesome. Are you are you a big Netflix or you know Hulu kind of guy? You're watching series with the family and stuff like that or movies? No, not really. I don't really watch much TV. I don't know how people find the time to do it. I'm, I'm too busy. I agree with that. So, how about how about books? How you know what kind of what kind of books have you read lately uh, that you can recommend? You know, I don't read a ton of books either, to be honest. I do a lot of reading, but most of it's on online stuff. Um, well, okay. So here's this isn't even a new book, but I mentioned it earlier. Um, Clean Code yeah. by by Uncle Bob Bob Cecil Martin. Um, it's an older book. I don't necessarily agree with everything it says, but most everything it says, I think is worth thinking about. And they've yeah. been going through it on the, the Working Code podcast and Adam Cameron's been talking about it. It has lots of you know things about code smells, about refactoring code, you know what, what makes code good or bad, how big should a function be, how big should a component be, are comments good or bad? Um, like I said, I don't always agree with the, with the conclusions that Uncle Bob comes to, but I think they're all worth thinking about because um, ultimately you know, we don't just hammer out code to make the website do what it wants, but we, you know, we create applications that are, are, are meaningful and well architected. So I think that's always a good book to recommend. That is true, that is true. We're gonna put it in the show notes here for that. Um, here's a personal question for you. So what, what kind of area of personal growth do you feel that you have experienced recently that you wanna share with people? What, what, do, you, what do you feel that mm. it's, it's, it's made Brad a better Brad? I don't know, that's a tough one. <laughs> I'm making you think now, huh? Uh. Um, I think one area is probably, um, you know, part of my, my role at Ortis is, you know, been kind of mentoring some of the newer Java developers that we have, you know, taking them under, under our wing, getting them up to speed in cold fusion, you know, having them take over tickets. And so that's kind of a new experience that I think it's, um, you know, it can be frustrating sometimes because you just want to be able to work and not be bothered, but, you know, t- helping, <laughs> helping someone else, you know, learn things and become a better developer and teach them the lessons, you know, that, that you've learned um, is something that I think is, uh, is a, a, a growth you kind of have to, you know, go through to be able to, um, you know, communicate lessons and get other people up to speed and, you know, teach them how to, how to solve tickets and learn things. So that, that's been a fun journey, I'd say. Pretty cool. That's awesome. Very good. So what do you like to do for fun? <laughs> You know, I always ask this question. I like to do a lot of things for fun. Um, one of the one of the most common ones probably involves anything that has to do with music. I uh, I play, you know, several instruments. I help lead worship with my church's uh, worship team, and so I'm usually practicing my guitar. I have a daughter who plays in bands, so I'll pull out my trumpet and I'll help her practice. So I think that's fun. I've always enjoyed uh, playing music and doing stuff like that. And I know you play like a thousand instruments, so you're <laughs> a real maestro. And then the last question for you. So what, what's a hidden talent that you have? Hidden talent? Hmm. I don't know. I never, you never can ask your it. wife. <laughs> you can say, hey, what, what's my hidden talent, honey? Do I have a hidden talent? <laughs> my my wife who's in the room she says that my hidden talent is making coffee so Louise ah, Louise got me on to espresso actual real coffee he told me that in El Salvador they call 
drip coffee in America, you know, piss water. So, um, <laughs> you know, he got me into, into two things, into fine cheeses and to a fine espresso. So I know I've had an espresso machine at home now and every, every day at my wife's prompting, I make, you know, cappuccinos and lattes and iced coffees. And so that's, that's something that I enjoy doing. And I've, I've you know, always have an array of different coffee beans I'm, I'm experimenting with. So that's, definitely fun. There's a lot to yeah. learn there for sure. It's a whole like interesting world of information. You know, how do you froth the milk just right? What's the proper ratio for a cappuccino? So, <laughs> so we're going to call you the Mr. Barista next, the Orcus Barista. <laughs> awesome. like that. Well, thank you so much for your time, Brad. It was really fun to hang out with you, man, and, and tap into your brain. And thank you, man. Thank you for all the ideas and everything that you do for, uh, for Cool Fusion and the community. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.